Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. Today's episode is brought to you by obscured the pursuit of of radical self-acceptance. My second book. Go check it out at obscuredbook.com for more. You can pick up a copy of Obscured, Safety Sucks. You can tune into the new latest and greatest podcast that we have. Really, I guess I'll say effing, effing scary stories. Really effing scary stories. All over at Pale Horse Media Co. Head over to palehorsemediaco.com. That's P-A-L-E horsemediaco.com for publishing, indie books, podcasts, and more. Hello, howdy. Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing today? I hope that you are doing absolutely fine wherever you find yourself. I will tell you that things are going pretty good here. Just wild and crazy and busy and all the kind of sort of things that you know that I love. I love those things. It's still hot in Phoenix. You know I've got to complain. I've complained like every single episode uh, for all of summer, but it sounds like there's some relief in sight. We've been uh, we've been suffering from some record-breaking heat here <laughs> for this past summer, as you know, because I haven't shut up about it. But the end, the end is near. It's closing in on a summer will soon be over in Phoenix. So that's a great thing. So I'm going to shut up about that because I complain, and you know I complain, and I'm just going to just leave it there as me complaining and tell you that I have nothing to complain about today because. We have the awesome, the amazing, the super cool Clive Lloyd. Clive Lloyd back in the house today talking about his latest book, Next Generation Safety Leadership from Compliance to Care. Look, you got to go pick this up. I shared with you guys a while back, I shared with everyone a while back, you know, a kind of a little small list of new books that I would encourage folks to go listen to. This is right there at the top of the list. Uh, I think, no, let's scratch it. I, I know, I know that you will gain some awesome and valuable information from this book. I know that you're going to enjoy today's episode because Clive is just an awesome person to chat with. Clive's one of those folks that when you chat with him, it's just like chatting with a long lost old friend. You know, I've never met Clive face to face yet. I'm going to say yet. It's going to happen one of these days, Clive. I promise we're going to get to meet in person. We're going to get to have some of these awesome conversations in person one of these days. But it's like that. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So I'm going to shut up. Here's us hanging out, chatting about all kinds of stuff with the one, the only, the amazing... Clive Lloyd. 
let me let me say thank you once again. Thank you for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Um, folks by now at this point will already realize who we have back, the one and the only, the amazing Mr. Clyde Lloyd. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I don't think you need any any bit of an introduction, but for maybe uh, maybe if we have a couple of new folks out there, why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are? All right. And thanks for having me on, Sam. I really enjoyed the first session. I think we could have talked for a lot longer. Uh, so who I am, um, a psychologist who specialised for the last couple of decades in um, safety leadership, um, safety culture development um, through what we call the Care Factor Program. Um, and most of the time when we're, we're not doing things like this, we're uh, flying around the place, working predominantly in high hazard, uh, mining, oil and gas, construction, utilities and so forth. Um, helping leaders and, and crews and teams to understand many things about their brains, um, but predominantly to start you know, moving towards, if I can use the current vernacular, Sam, doing safety differently. I, I love the way you put it, actually, just doing it better mm. um, and, and yeah, dragging our sorry asses from um, um, <laughs> the way safety used to be done and still is to, to just doing it differently, just doing yeah. it better, applying psychological science. Yeah, and that's that's what uh, that's so much of the conversation. It seems I've, I've, I've been forced into lately. It seems uh, it's it's more forced as of late than it is anything else um, into this move um, of trying to really move safety from a religion to a science. It seems right. Yeah, <laughs> really trying yeah. to move from this old school traditional uh, and safety as a religion. That's the only that's the best way that I can yeah yeah get it and move it to something that might be a little bit more scientific and, and sensical. Right? Yeah. Let's all worship at the altar of zero harm, and well, that's what that's that's so much what it feels like in some of these more yeah. traditional places, and that's where, um, and I think you and I have had some of this conversation on our last uh, little bit of time together, where people get so angry at one another, uh, especially yeah. within our profession, as we start to talk about doing anything different, uh, and yeah. that seems to be much more true in that traditional sense. I don't mean to pick on those traditional folks that much. I know I get I sure. pick on them a bunch and throw bricks in their direction. Um, but they really seem to cling to that same kind of uh, position of when, okay, you challenge my personal beliefs. So yeah. Now that you challenge my personal beliefs, I feel attacked. And yeah. no matter what you say, uh, you're wrong. I'm right. And because zero is morally true and good and just, and that's what I'm sticking with. Right. And yeah. Because I continue to see the zero debate everywhere. It seems like more so now. Which I think it is. is good. Let me say I think that's good before we go yeah. farther because people are now talking about it. We used to not challenge those things. It is. What, and look, what do you I, think I, about that? Look, I get, I get that. I get their thinking around that because it, it is spoken about a lot. But I actually do see that as a good thing. I, I posted something yesterday from the book uh, about zero harm. Uh, and again, not to punish in any way those who have that as a goal. I, I believe, um, and this is where I'm different, say, to Dr. Rob Long, who, um, you know, he, he wrote that book, um, what, what the hell was it called, For the Love of Zero. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, he smashes anybody that believes in zero harm and he calls them all, all manner of names. <laughs> and for me, it's not like that. I honestly believe companies, generally speaking, have put zero in place as a goal, did so with a genuine intent. Uh, for, for no negative reasons. The reason I think it's still very much worthy of talking about is, again, moving away from the religion into the science. And the science simply says this. There is no evidence, no evidence that a goal of zero does any good, and yet there is there is some evidence that it actually is associated with increased serious injuries and fatalities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm purely doing this from a research-based background. Having a goal of zero is very unlikely to do any good 
but it is possibly linked to increased injuries and fatalities. Now, that's why I think it's worth talking about, uh, not from any ideological or philosophical view. Just, again, we're talking about doing safety better. Doing safety better probably means getting rid of goals like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that's that's where the challenge is interesting because when you start to have those conversations, um, folks are very quick to when you when you challenge those things or they have been, they're very quick to say, "Well, you just don't care. You just want people to get yeah. hurt." Uh, yeah. How many injuries is okay? Zero, right. If you don't, yeah. how many injuries are okay? Then exactly, they kind of cross their arms and go, "Well, how many injuries are okay?" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like um, just because maybe I'm against the war on drugs doesn't mean I'm pro addiction. It's such a great example. Um, exactly, exactly. You know, just because I'm, I'm, I'm against locking people in cages for what they do to their own bodies um, doesn't necessarily mean I'm pro-crack. <laughs> exactly right. And, and that's where this whole thing gets a little bit confused. You know? Yeah, it gets, gets into a little bit of a gray area. <laughs> and you bang on. I mean, a, a lot of, um, not resistance, but some people are giving feedback that, you know, the new way, the new view, hop, safety differently, whatever you want to call that. Uh, somehow means they've got to stop doing everything they're currently doing. It's this or it's this. It's, again, it's very uh, polarised. And to me, it's, it's not like that at all. It's In, in fact, um, you, you know, you, you'll keep doing much of what you are still doing. You'll just start doing it maybe differently by bringing your teams in more, yeah. by actually listening more to your crews. And the more you do that, the more you build those relationships and trust, everything you're currently doing can start getting better. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, I think, you know, almost we're organically then moving towards doing safety differently and safety too. It's not like you have to just, you know, get the safety two uses manual and chuck everything else out. Right. This is right. just doing it better by, by bringing your crews in. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a, a different overarching approach altogether. Yeah. And, and that, that's really what, uh, how I try to share it with people that much because it's, there's always the fear that safety, uh, that, that our kind of evolution of safety gets, gets turned into just another program, right? And that's obviously not what we're shooting for here. We're no. talking about doing safety better or safety different. And I totally agree no. with you. That's why, I, as we kind of mentioned, I shy away from even, I love safety differently. That, that's what I would prefer to use. But yes, all the terms are almost, so. they are, they're so polarizing at this point, whether we're saying hop, whether we're saying uh, the new view, safety two, you know, everything means something just slightly different. Right? And, it does. And that's where I kind of throw myself out there and just say safety better because I look at all that stuff almost as a buffet more than, <laughs> than anything yeah. else, right? You, you, should, yeah. you should be digging into all those bits and pieces, right? There's valuable stuff in, in all of those things. So I think it, it is important to, to, for folks to not get too hung up on just the kind of the naming convention of what, what we're doing here, right? Totally. And I, I heard an interview with John Green recently who I've got a lot of time for. And he said in terms of hop, Safety differently, safety too. You you know you could barely get a cigarette paper between them. Yeah. Uh, in, in many ways, they're very similar. And yeah, I wrote an article about this recently. That's it's up on the safety differently website. Is I also think the various names can be a little bit off-putting to the very people who need to be reading this stuff. Yeah. You know, rather than academics or people like ourselves um, and commentators, uh, the average safety manager out there, he doesn't really care what you call them. He doesn't care if he's doing hop safety differently safety. He just wants to know what he can do better. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's why I like the approach. There's a quote here that I, this to me is rather than saying you've got to chuck all the old out and just do the new, this quote, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old but on building the new yeah. um, from some dude called Socrates. 
Uh, <laughs> and I think that's it. It's not about tearing down what we have done, what we're currently doing. It's just about focusing on what we can do just to make it better. That's all. You know, I, I love that because um, in, in all of the, I even hate to use the word implementation. I don't know. I just get to uh, make my skin crawl. I think of some of this stuff is becoming programized, but yeah, uh, too linear. It's too linear. Too linear. <laughs> um, as, as I've liked to share with folks um, on a lot of the deployments, the implementations, whatever, as organizations start to evolve to doing things a little bit better, is that, you, you know, you don't go out and attack all the bad in the organization and just try to scrap it to begin with. You just start putting out better ideas. And the more, yeah. the, 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 the more good ideas that you put out, you slowly start to, the bad ideas start to fall off the plate. Right. Yeah. Eventually, those good ideas will replace the bad or maybe the stuff that just doesn't work so great or the stuff that's clunky in the organization or just doesn't necessarily align with with your organization's new uh, underlying values. Because that's, that's really what you're trying to trying to impact in the organization. Right. You're really you're really trying to, just, to to target those underlying values of the organization, because I think, as you mentioned, for me, there's so much stuff that uh, we like to throw out into organizations, tools for this and tools for that, and a program for this and a program for that. And none of that stuff is inherently evil, right? None of that stuff no. is inherently bad. Uh, just about all of it, if you work for any reputable organization, at least comes from a place of caring, right? It comes from, from a place That's of trying it. to do good in the organization. Um, but That's it. The, the culture in which you immerse those tools in, right, has a lot to do with whether they're successful or not, whether they're weaponized or whether they're used yeah. for good, whether they're used for good or yeah. they're used for evil, right? To get a little bit more, get a little bit more dramatic. <laughs> yeah, some of those things really are weaponized. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, it's much of what companies are doing now has actually served them quite well in many ways. Uh, for me, it's that if we just heard a little bit more from from the workforce in terms of why they do the job the way they do. And again, I love that notion of the difference between work as leaders imagine it is done as opposed to work as it actually is done. Now, if we knew that, if we knew how it actually is done and why it is done, so why does it make sense to do it that way? Again, that notion of bringing our teams in, that, again, I believe will shape the way we do it differently. You don't have to have some magic wand or just read Sydney Decker books or anything like that. You just actually start bringing your teams in and actually hearing from them. That alone is a process of change and it's a really great process of change. You know, one of one of the uh, you bring up the name, so I have to throw it out here. One of the when I had when I had Sydney on, um, yeah. And if, if folks haven't listened to that episode, you should. That that was a blast for me. Yeah. I mean, you, if you go back and listen, and you watch, especially if you watch the video, you can see me trying not to completely geek out and fanboy out at, <laughs> at Sydney, just because he's a blast, right? A sure <laughs> personal thing. hero of mine, right? I'm sitting here, yeah. Like, okay, this is this is this is intense um, in a good way. Um, but I, I love I love the way that he he kind of mentioned this and just kind of casually dropped this out there and. And I've heard from more people that tuned in that podcast about this one little snippet than anything else. If you can just get your organization to start from a place of trust with your employees yeah. rather than from a place of distrust, you will change Absolutely. everything at that point. Because even it, it, don't really think about it when you're immersed in your organization, but just about everything that organizations do starts from a place of distrusting people, right? Yeah. You start from, well, I need this check sheet to prove that you did this. Yeah. I need this process so I will know that you did this. Yeah. I need this monitoring software looking over your shoulder so I know that you did this and I can go back and prove that you did or didn't do this. Everything starts from a place of not trusting the employee. And if we can yeah. start from a place of trusting the employee, uh, that seems like a really good, good spot to start for maybe getting some of that trust back towards us. Right? Uh, 
Absolutely. And going back to your, your podcast with, with Sydney, um, the whole podcast was fantastic. But my favourite bit, and I might have mentioned this in our, our last chat, was when you do that Sam thing and, and you ask at the end, um, you know, what's one thought to leave? You know, after all of the wonderful theorising um, Sydney does and all the technical stuff he talks about, what he said was, we've got to trust people more. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're saying, as opposed to what we currently do is we, we, we call them take fives here, I'm sure you yeah of course you'll do five take fives a day or you'll do one take five before every job and at the end of the day you'll hand them in yeah. and then people ask well why do we hand them in um because it's not like they do anything with the data right it's not like they actually take these and look yeah. for themes amongst the take fives. they chuck them in the bin and so in other words why do you have to hand them in to make sure you're doing them yeah. and you think about what that does to trust, and that's why people actually fill them in in the lunchroom, right? Mm-hmm. Well, e- even worse, so even worse, uh, you know, those take fives, those pre-job briefs, the pre-task, whatever crap we want to call it, right? Whatever new bullshit we term, we come up with it, right? It, it's it's going to, uh, it, it comes in and it goes and it's chucked in the supervisor desk usually, as you mentioned, right? It's, it's in a yeah. drawer and some some just just random drawer probably that has, you know, cans of potted meat and, and other various non-perishable forever type of lunch items and a random 300-year-old banana and just whatever else, you know, lives in the desk or at work. Yeah. <laughs> and they remain it's, there until all yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden something uh, unexpected happens. Yeah. And then we'll go sift through those and find the one that was associated with it. And more often than not, it seems like organizations would go, well, see here, look, if you would have just talked about what, what hurt you, That's right. yeah. if you would have just checked this, nothing bad would have ever happened. Yeah. It's your fault. If you would have just did this, this take five harder, and better than <laughs> nothing bad would have ever happened. And we wouldn't be in this horrible position that you put us in as a pesky person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which, which then weaponizes oh, the process even farther. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm passionate about this because this is one that I hear a lot from frontline employees as I kind of make my way here and there and, and, and chat with these kind of folks um, because they get to the point to where, you know, these kind of tick and flick sheets and these, these kind of fill in the blank sheets and these kind of processes that we throw out there like that. Um, yeah. They just find themselves putting everything that they could ever imagine and just not talking about it at all. Yep. Right. And, and well, I won't say that they talk about what's important. They get back to yeah. the stuff that actually kills them. They're like, okay, what could kill us today? And we'll put everything else on here. So if something bad does happen, at least we're covered. We're, we're, we're in compliance. That's it. What they, uh, what they call in Australia. Stuff. Yeah. And what they call in Australia, an ask covering exercise. Right, and (laughs) there is no trust in that. And what could kill us? I tell you, what could kill us is somebody not speaking up when we could have really done with hearing from them. And why are they not speaking up? Because they're worried that if they do speak up, they will get their butt kicked. And again, you mentioned that mistrust. And mistrust is different to um, trust. They're different variables. But um, you know, we talk about building trust in relationships, and a lot of people, a lot of leaders, view those as what we what they term soft skills. Uh, which is a very misleading descriptor. Absolutely. Um, Soft skills they may be, but the research is absolutely clear. I don't come at this from a just be nice to your people, some sort of ethical or moral position. I'm a pragmatist. I I do what works, and the research is abundantly clear. And in in the book I talk about where the workforce has a strong degree of mistrust, pretty much nothing else you do is going to make any difference because people don't use whatever you put in place as intended. Where, where there is fear, you'll get bad data. Yeah. And where you get bad data, you can kill people. Yeah. 
And so it's it's not about soft skills. This is actually what makes organisations, those high reliability organisations, this is what makes them work well. People speak up. They pick up on even weak signals mm. and they speak up. You know all this stuff, but I do get a little bit tired of hearing this soft skills bit. Um, you know, I, soft I, about them. I heard something really interesting about that. Uh, uh, it was back on Todd's podcast, actually. I think it was on one of his. I'll have to go back through and look, and I'm sure people out there have heard it. They can go back and, and excavate through his hundreds of episodes and find it somewhere. Um, in my hours of driving, because I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty much like you, you know, I spend, my, I spend a lot of time traveling from here to there, you know. And so um, Todd is often in my ear holes <laughs> as, yeah. as, I'm, as I'm moving around, you know, along with some other podcasts. Um, but he, his, the, the title of the podcast was something like um, Soft Skills Are Not Soft Skills, They're essential skills, right? Kind of, yeah. kind of exactly to your point that soft skills are very, very essential. And that term is extremely misleading to folks. And that, that seems to be the one place. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm reducing this greatly, but in most organizations that I've seen, soft skills are not focused on at all. Uh, and no. if they are, it seems to be very, very little because often, and, and especially with our, with our, with leaders within organizations, right? Uh, more often than not, you don't become a leader because you're really nice to people. Right. You don't you don't become uh, a leader sure. because you're because you're really good at soft skills. You become a leader because you're really good at whatever it is that you actually do. Right. Yeah. You're a, you're a, you're a top producer. You're great at this, you're great at that. You bring in the dollars, you make something happen, right? And then all of a sudden you're a leader. And we often yeah. throw folks in those positions and organizations and they go, There you go, go, go be a leader. Come on. Yeah, go be a leader. This. Go go do what you were doing there. Just make everybody else do it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Forget that there's a little bit more to it than that, right? There's a lot more to it than that. And it is an issue with the, with the safety curriculum, I believe, in that obviously there's a huge focus on things like risk and risk mitigation, which is which is great. We, we need that. Sure. But you cannot mitigate risk you don't hear of. Right. Um, you, you know, you cannot change what you won't acknowledge. And unless leaders do build those relationships where people feel absolutely free to speak up, you're going to miss out on all manner of risks that could have been ameliorated but weren't purely because of relationships. And uh, in the book, I talk about the Acre Framework, who did a bit of a survey. I think there's nearly 200 senior um, HSC managers. And in the survey, they, they looked at what skills they would see the next generation of safety leaders, you know, most importantly, developing. And I think it was like 97% said the development of soft skills, mm. of, of relationship-building skills. So... We get it. I think most people get the importance of them, but it is still not the focus it should be. And I think we're moving, don't get me wrong, I think we're shifting in that direction. But there's still sort of a, a little bit of opposition to this in, in, in some places, um, including, dare I say, some of the educators. You know, in organisations, I, I can speak obviously very heavily from the utility world. Um, the utility world, at least here in the United States, uh, is very much populated by... Um, folks that have come out of the military uh, the, or nuclear world yeah. is very much populated with folks that have come out of the, the Navy in particular because of the nuclear yeah. world in the Navy. And that's, that's a great thing. I'm not saying that's bad, but they bring with them a very heavy handed command and control model, yeah. which works that's very true. well in the military. But yeah, I don't know if it does us that great. A, great, a, great I don't think it does. I, I think the command control approach works well in two places. One, one is the military and the other one is prison. Yeah. <laughs> and unless you want your guys to feel like they're in the military or in prison, you know, just stop doing that. Well, there's there's this there's this common thread that I, it seems like I, I end up having to keep bringing up or bringing up with folks, is that at the end of the day, everything that happens within our organizations is ultimately voluntary. 
Yeah. Right. Whether, whether that's reporting, right. Any of our reporting systems, any of those, all, even if we have that big, bold, in red, underlined three times rule that says we will fire you if you don't report stuff, it's still voluntary. Yeah. You know, the fact that, that employees work for us, that's their choice to work work with us, right? It's completely yeah. voluntary. This is all, all voluntary stuff. And I think if we start from a place of understanding that rather than trying to force our employees into using these processes, uh, especially when we're not so great in our um, response, maybe when they do, <laughs> I want yeah. us to back up a little bit. There's that's another conversation to back up into the response space. But I think if you just start from a place of understanding that that just about everything that we do in our organizations, and rather than command and control, is understanding that it's that it's voluntary. And how do we yeah. convince people that it makes sense to take that extra three minutes to report this? Of course, or bring that yeah. up because, again, setting in a corporate building somewhere looking down in the organization and going well it's only three minutes to submit this thing we've all been there right you can think about the random surveys that pop up here and there in your web browser how often do you sit down and waste that three minutes of your life to fill out that (laughs) survey after you've done a process of something after you've done it never (laughs) spot on uh i mean uh you know i think there is this growing awareness that we do need people to speak up of course there is but you know You'd have to be a complete norm not to understand that your people speaking up is a really good thing. And I've seen some companies who, you know, they, they read the science, they read the importance of trust and relationship-based safety, but maybe because culturally they, um, they, they lack there a little bit, what they'll do is come up with a policy of speaking up. You know, around here, the policy is you will speak up. And as Rosa Carilla uh, said in her wonderful book, a policy can't make it safe to speak up. You can put all the policies and procedures you like in place about speaking up. If people are frightened, uh, if people don't trust their leadership, a policy is no bloody good at all. Well, I think I think if you have a policy in your organization that says "Thou shalt tell me this, or else you're fired," I think that says a lot about that about your policy and trust, right? Yeah, <laughs> I should tell you a lot about where you're at in, in your organization. So you just sparked a thought in me there. This could go anywhere, Sam. Yeah, but you know, the good "Thou shalt." Yeah, <laughs> "Thou shalt." That just reminds me, just language, the importance mm-hmm. of language. Yeah. And, you know, as long as leadership are using the, the thou shalts, you must, you should, you have to, you ought to, that's what I call those parent-child interactions. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you were saying you should, you must, you ought to, that's, that's the autocratic parents. So that's going to be received by the workforce from what we call their, their child ego state. Mm. You know, literally they, they believe they're being spoken to like children. Now, usually when we do that, and anybody who's got an adolescent um, would know this, you, you start that language with, with um, people in their child ego state, they're going to do a couple of things. They'll either go silent, nod their head and do the opposite, or they'll actively rebel. Um, We've got to change the language. We've just got got to get rid of that parent language and actually start using language that you just speak to people normally. Right. And so much of that, I mean, especially when we get into our processes, our procedures, our, uh, back to the religion of safety, our Bibles of safety, Right, our, our religious texts of safety, which often find you know to be three hundred pages long of rules and this and that and the other. Um, fortunately, I think that's that's starting to change as many organizations are waking okay. to kind of doing safety a little bit better, and we're starting to declutter and really starting to focus on what's important and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, but all that stuff, I think it's still back to what kind of where we went with some of as we mentioned some of Decker's comments. We start from a place of not trusting the employees, so we automatically start from a place of writing all the CYA to cover your ass. For the company. So when you mess up, we yeah. can hold you air quotes accountable, right? Yeah. We, we use that word in the wrong way, but we'll, we'll, we'll use yeah. it the way most corporations do accountable. We're going to, we're going to hold you to account. 
Um, and this gives us the backing to, to, to push you from the organization, uh, to either fire you, to, to, to extract our pound of flesh, our pound of flesh, there we go, from you, uh, or any of the above, right? Uh, any, any other kind of horrible, horrific thing we want to put in there after you've made a mistake. Yeah. Um, so we, we really find most of that, that language, I think, and I hear, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on the, the lawyers out there. Most of it is legalese, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can I can think of a hundred different companies sets of procedures that I've looked at that start with definitions that say, okay, here's here's the thou shalt, the thou shouldst, the thou this, the thou that, and we have a very specific legal definition in those procedures as to what those are, right? Yeah. And again, we we use that to protect the company more than we do anything in for for the employees. All right, so yeah. I'm completely with you. That whole that whole shift in language is vital. Is There's a whole we want to change that. bunch of examples that you're sparking in my brain as you're speaking. Um, now, I, I call this, by the way, the fear loop. Mm. Um, and it's, it's so much to do with underlying assumptions, as you mentioned. And uh, honestly, this is where I see the major change or how to make safety better is, is changing our underlying assumptions. If we do that, we shift everything. Yeah. And the underlying assumption is all too often people are the problem, uh, which is familiar language in, you know, to us in, in safety well, happens, but people are the problem. If that is the underlying assumption, what we then do is focus on people's behaviours. And if we do that, then we go into rank or radical behaviourism. That is we reward or punish. We bring out the carrots and the stick. And what that sets up then is either fear or extrinsic motivation. You know, I'm doing it for the carrot. And what it ends up doing, of course, is shutting down intrinsic motivation, shutting down people just speaking up. In, in, a, in a way that is voluntary, and that just feeds itself. That becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The, the shift for me is the underlying assumption from people are the problem to, again, people are the solution. Now, if that's the underlying assumption, what we do is we focus on relationships. We focus on learning. That builds and trust and psychological safety, and what you end up with is, is a speak-up culture. People will fall into That feeds itself too. That becomes your new self-fulfilling prophecy, and all of a sudden, we're organically moving towards doing safety better. And I'll give you an example. Is um, I was working with a client. Uh, this is a huge client who have obviously their subcontractors. And after talking with them about the use of language, they said, Clive, I'm just aware we're sending out the contracts to, you know, the, the people who've put in for contractor positions. And he said, I'm, after reading them, I'm just a bit concerned about the language. And he said, would you have a quick look through? And so I did. And again, the language, to use your expression, it's full of essentially thou shalt, the contractor must, the contractor will. The con now, I, I get the legal stuff, as you mentioned. kind of has to be there from a legal. But it, what it sets up before the client even meets the contractor, it sets up this parent-child relationships and they're like this. It doesn't have to be that way. I get that legally it might have to be that way, but you don't have to follow that through as a leader. No. You, you get to choose the way that you communicate with a contractor and so forth. You know, and I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, uh, you know, how things how things function uh, over your way. But, you know, what I found is as I've started to involve more um, more legal folks in some of these yeah. processes, because they're important parts of your organization. I don't mean to pick on them. These kind of yeah. rude, old, crusty attorneys yeah. in their organizations, but they're OK. They're people, too. They're still people. Yeah. <laughs> but what you, what I what I found is so often so often they're like yeah, we've never put put that in there anyways that was your guys idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> so absolutely awesome that they're like no that we don't have that was you <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we make assumptions uh, about yeah. regulators 
and about lawyers. And I, I loved um, what Simon Bowne was talking about when he, he moved from sort of old traditional safety to, to implementing, to use that word, um, safety to at London Luton Airport. And, again, one of his big fears was what the regulators would say. <laughs> right. And so he's put all this stuff together in terms of what they would be doing differently, bringing their teams in, consulting with their teams, and the regulators said, sounds fantastic. <laughs> uh, but, again, we, we go ahead with this assumption, oh, no, the regulators won't let us change this. Well, just maybe they will, and not only will, they might even actually be quite supportive of it. Well, I think that's I think that's what's what's great. Um, same, same. Um, uh, throughout my, I've lived in the state of Arizona for about ten years now, um, and unfortunately, it's it's an interesting place to live currently with the whole COVID thing. But Arizona's been an interesting hotspot lately. <laughs> but yeah. other than that, um, throughout my years here, I've had the opportunity to interact with ADOSH, which is the Arizona Department of Occupational Safety and Health, and it was kind of the same same input. And I think we'll find that with with most folks within regulator. It, to, to paraphrase here was. We're learning from you. I think yeah. what you're doing is really cool. Yeah. Go out and try it. Of course. Just tell us how it turns out so we know how to, how to write everything as we move forward. Most regulators are looking back on industry going, teach us. We need to learn from you so we know where to take this thing. Right. So yeah. I, I think it is easy to, and that's human nature, right. To, to draw those kind of broad assumptions about a regulator, about an attorney, about the, you know, this, about safety folks, about, <laughs> about everybody yeah. else. Um, but it seems like as we actually start to go out and have these conversations, which I think is an important part of this is going out and actually talking to people. Um, we start to find out that maybe we're not all that different. Maybe we're, we, we really are moving in kind of the same direction. once we start actually talking about it. Spot on. I mean, traditionally it has been top down. Um, you know, safety procedures and so forth come from regulators that then flavours how senior leaders look at safety. They then filter that down to the thou shalts to the workforce. And in that whole process, lots of things like trust are, are lost and relationships. Thinking about it now, that surely bottom-up is a better way. Sure. The people who actually do the job, they're the experts. How about we learn from them about risk? We then pass that up to senior leaders and the senior leaders pass it up to the regulators. That makes a lot more sense to me. Well, you know, for so long, and I think that's such a, a big piece of that difference in our overarching approach as we start to kind of evolve safety forward, as we start to shift from, from all these different little bits and pieces of more traditional safety to kind of this, this new view, if you will, whatever we want to call it as we start to move forward. Yeah. For so long, uh, we really approached it from this model of um, accountability up, Right. We, we were really, yeah. you know, we were going to I'm going to hold you accountable and you're going to have accountability up throughout that. Right. Up, up that stick. Right. It's Todd's infamous stick picture. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, where we really get to is shifting that model from from accountability up to responsibility down. Yeah. Right? It's, it's really shifting it to where we hold that responsibility down rather than holding the folks accountable at the point of the stick. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's I think it's such an interesting interesting place where we're starting to go now. Um, again, especially with the regulators, um, I think that it's possible now because the conversations are actually being had. And to kind of circle yeah. back to some of what we were saying, um, imagine I, I couldn't imagine ten years ago that we could be having an open conversation no. amongst safety professionals. Going, you know what? I don't think all all accidents are preventable. Yeah. We, I, Heretic. If, if I would have said that 10 years ago, I would have been crucified. Like you literally crucified. You would have. <laughs> Any of us would have been, right? Any of us would have been. And but so that is a shift. Yeah. So it's we're, a good we're shift. to the point to where we're, 
we're at least able, because I, I remember um, when I first discovered um, Todd's work and Sydney's work and all those things, when I first started to kind of, kind of I was, I was at that point of, of leaving safety altogether because I was just tired of it. I was, I was done with the traditional safety yeah. BS and just kind of the whole thing. I'm like, this is, this is just exactly that. It's, it's bullshit, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm done with this yeah. uh, until I, until I discovered that, Hey, you know, you can actually do this a little, a little differently. Um, yeah. I remember when, when the organization that I was working for at the time, um, when those conversations were first had, just to kind of drive that point home, I, I remember we would literally go into a conference room and shut the door and be like, listen, read this book. Here, let me give you a cut. Don't let anybody see this. It, it, it's, it says that, that not everything's preventable. Don't tell anybody yeah. who gave you this. <laughs> Maybe zero is not such a great idea after all. Yeah. And then, I know, yeah, exactly. We have to go take a picture in front of the zero banner that says a million hours. Read this after. <laughs> so I think it's amazing that these conversations are being, are being had. I think yeah. we're at that point to where we're, we're, we're starting to see compounding change now, which is awesome. Yeah. I think we are. It feels like maybe there's um, that critical mass that is so important in, in changing things. It's, it's, yeah. We're getting there, I think. You, you, yeah. You're right. You, you just could not have said some of those things. I know people literally who were sacked yeah. 10 years ago because they were interviewed for a safety role, but they just happened to mention that they're not particularly big believers in zero harm. And that, that's it. You, you just don't get the gig. Yeah. Um, I think we're past that now. In, in many places, we're past that. There's there's still, uh, you know, it's, it's surprising how many organizations in particular, um, individual organizations that might have not heard of these little bits and pieces yet are, are yeah. out there. Because I, I get that a lot. Um, have a lot of safety pros out there, um, human performance people that reach out to me and go, Hey, will you take a look at this? You know, I'm, I'm applying to this job and this is what their, you know, their policy is. And unfortunately, you know, when you see that, it says safety professional to support our mission of zero incidents ever. And I, the only input that I can say is, I don't know, fill them out, but I don't know if I would apply to that job or not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. Unless you uh, want look, the challenge of changing it. I mean, if you want that challenge, then yeah. it might be the right spot for you. If you're and there are many <laughs> there are many diehards still there though. I was, I was chatting with a guy the other day yeah. who uh, he'd noticed on somebody's shirt, you know, the people have the zero harm logo on their shirt these yeah. days. There's one guy with beyond zero. Like, what are you going to do, friggin' reincarnate people now? Right, the hell is <laughs> beyond zero? Seriously. Well, so, I, uh, I worked for an organization way back when, when I, when I first started in safety, it was one of my first safety tech positions, right? The, the, basically a safety tech and, a, and an IH pump jockey, you know, going out and <laughs> working power plants. And uh, they used to call it, uh, and this organization no longer exists. They were bought out and absorbed and gone. So I can pick on them a little bit. I still won't throw their name out there, but they had, they had this piece that they had, um, they had beyond zero. That was one of their slogans, but right. on their reports, they literally used, they used the, 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 hein, the Heinrich pyramid, the Heinrich triangle, the accident triangle. And then they drew a line through it. So you had the traditional Heinrich pyramid here and they drew a line and their whole slogan was living below the line. So once you, once you got rid of everything above that was, you know, actual, not so great stuff, then you wanted to eliminate and, and just, again, close your eyes and think about how crazy this is. You want to eliminate yeah. all of your near misses. So you don't want anyone to report the stuff that almost killed them. Yeah. And then, and then underneath that was sub blocks of, okay, now you don't want any reported bad behaviors and you wanted zero everything all the way down to the point to where it was, it was driving towards fixing the person ultimately. Right. And it kind of, yeah. it's kind of, you kind of think about that now and you're going, 
Oh, man. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> Lit- literally incentivizing non-reporting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then the, the data that fed that people were, you know, kind of going back to some of the, the canned and sold uh, BBS stuff. They were using kind of more simplistic behavior-based safety observations and they would take and put the chart out on the wall for everyone that did observations. And if you didn't get your three for the day or three for the week or whatever it was, you would be terminated. So you were, (laughs) you think about how horrible that these, those systems still exist in organizations. And to me, that's the scary part, as we're saying that, you know, there's, there's a lot of great stuff happening and we are seeing this kind of gigantic mass now starting to form and starting to move forward but there's still some pockets out there that hopefully will get that message sooner than later i think so and and look if i can just be a little bit controversial here for a moment i do think um we can play a role in, in helping that well we are playing a role but i think historically a lot of theorists in safety um well we you know we've drawn some from some rather odd places theoretically like the the, the pyramid like swiss cheese and now all of those things could be useful uh, as George Box said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah. Um, but, but I think a lot of the literature that's out there uh, comes from academia. Um, even some of Decker's stuff, for example, even some of Todd's stuff, is still quite theoretical in nature. For your average safety manager out there, just wanting to get an answer to the question, what does it look like? Yeah. You know, what do we actually do? Just tell me what we do. And I think we can get, we can all get better at helping that out by, by again, changing the language. Yeah. You know, when I've spoken with people about um, how to do safety better, they, you know, I, I might bring in the word like safety differently or safety too, just in passing. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, so that's what safety differently is. You know, it's just about, you know, hearing from your teams more. Bringing them in on risk assessments, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. Well, you know, I, th- I think it's really important because what you're saying there, I like because, um, you know, that's I push people to read Todd's Five Principles book um, when when they really ask about okay, where do I start? I push them to read that book because we forget a lot of times in organizations when, when we start down this path of, of hop, we think that those principles are directed down through the organization, but they're not, right? They're they're directed mm-hmm. towards the leaders in the organization. It's their, those are their principles, right? It's that shift to those, instilling those as our beliefs in the organization. Um, and I, I like that because, again, a really good spot to start for them is if you just give them something as simple as something like that, you know, five principles that, oh, okay, response matters, matters a lot. So how can I respond differently, mm-hmm. right? And you can, you can tell them how to respond differently, right? When someone yeah. brings you that event and says, hey, look, this thing almost hit me, and if it did, I would have died. And the yeah. normal, the normal response would be, "Oh shit! What? No, that can never happen again. How, how could you? How could this have ever happened? Here's a thousand yeah. corrective actions. We're going to indirectly discipline you. Everyone's going to get retrained. It's going to be a big thing because that's how we show you that we care a bunch. But that doesn't really do anything except to turn you from actually reporting. Yeah. And we have that conversation about how you know how can we maybe do that a little differently. I think that's that's exactly it because that's what that's the question I get from leaders all the time. Is that, yeah. well, okay, I get all this, but tell yeah. me what you want me to do differently. Yeah. If, you give them, if you give them something tangible that they can actually go and do a little differently, they'll do it. They'll absolutely do it. And look, the feedback I'm getting around um, this is, is it, that's consolidating my belief about that. I mean, Todd, you know, he's got some beautiful expressions that people get instantly. One, one of my favourites uh, from, from a, a Toddism, if you like, is you can blame or you can learn. All right, so straight away, you've got something to work with there, all right? Um, exactly. With the safety differently stuff, Decker himself, and I'm like you, I'm a big fanboy, 
what he said is um, he did backtrack a little bit recently on this to a degree, but he said you cannot sort of teach people how to do safety differently. And I get what he's saying there because, yeah. you know, it's, it's down to a leader and his or her team. Nevertheless, uh, when people when people safety managers read that, think about the reaction. Okay, so there's no recipe, there's no, nothing you can follow to do safety differently. Right, well, I won't bother with that then. Uh, and yes, there are things you can do. There are things you can help leaders with to move towards doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, by the same token, Sydney's got um, a, res- uh, a restorative uh, culture, just culture checklist. I know. <laughs> right? That is I, that I laugh, is showing I laugh because it's a checklist from Sydney Decker. <laughs> exactly. And to, to be fair, to be fair, Sydney's did say, "All right." So you know, I backtrack. On this occasion, this is a very useful thing to use. Now, my point is I get why Sydney says there's no recipe to follow because it needs to be leaders still need to think things through themselves and work with their crews to get their specific answers. But there's a whole bunch of things associated with safety differently and safety Q and HOP that leaders can learn to do. It doesn't mean the answers will be the same, but there's processes like decluttering, um, like a restorative just uh, culture and so forth. And when the language is put to leaders, that would look like this. Yeah, th- this is how you start to build those relationships right. to bring your people in. Then, you know, we need to be better at giving them stuff that they can understand and do. Um, and I think because we haven't been as pragmatic maybe as we could have been, I think the process of change has not been. Uh, that's just me taking a bit of responsibility for my mm-hmm. profession. I don't think psychology, I think psychology uh, has been far too academic. Yeah, uh, There's lots of enthusiasm about safety to and safety differently in academia. Uh, and often I see the backslapping going on amongst the academics. Isn't this great? Now we're doing well. Your average safety manager hasn't even heard of it yet. No, and, and that's that's so much of what so much of what I experienced because that's that's where um, um, I like like yourself. I mean, I found myself in that position of you know working with leaders, working with frontline employees, working with executives, working with that piece of it. Um, I'm so far removed from the academia side of it that I you know I think most of us that are. I, I, it's, it's, we read, we understand, we learn, right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's really about going out and trying to make the world a little bit better, right? Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't mean to, uh, to, to slight those folks at all, but most, no, front, no. most, most frontline safety practitioners really don't care much of what they have to say. I mean, just to be completely honest with you, it's back to, it's back to the point. Give me something that works. Yeah. Teach me how it works and I'll gladly go out and try it. If it works. <laughs> exactly. Now, to be fair, because, you know, to be fair, I've got a foot in both camps here. I've done my time in academia, and most of what I write is based on um, peer-reviewed research period. So it, it, yeah. please understand it's got its place because that's how we know Absolutely. it works. That's Absolutely. We've got the data to demonstrate that this actually works. Where I think academia falls down a little bit is those folks aren't necessarily the best to actually then get that message yeah. out. Yeah. And but- it's, it's like some translating needs to be done. But you know, I, I think we're I think we're seeing some hybrids out there now too, which I think. Oh yeah, right. You're you're you're, see, you're seeing uh, folks from the academic camp that are actually going out boots on the ground, digging into stuff from a different perspective, which is great. And I mean, we could sit here name a list of of, of multiple oh, yeah. folks. So most 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 of them are, are pretty near to you. Uh, the ones yeah. that, that I'm thinking of. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but um, it's it's great to see kind of that. But again, it's. It's it's those pieces. People, your your safety leaders, your your hot practitioners, your human performance people, um, anyone in your organization, your leaders in general, um, they're just wanting to know what to do different. They're just wanting to know how do we get better, right? Yeah. So to that point, they, they could care less where it comes from, right? If it's yeah. 
And so the, the great thing about that is uh, to kind of get back to what the, the, the thought track that we were on just a second ago is that it's, it is, it's hard to paint out, you know, here's your step from one to 10 on how to make, you know, implement safety differently within your organization. Super easy. Because if we did that, we would just be kind of BBS from 10 years ago. That's right. <laughs> here's, here's, here's your prepackaged canned snake oil yeah, and, go forth and, and here's the easy button for your organization. And that's the harder part to, to really, to really digest is that it, there is no real easy button with this stuff. No. Right. But it's not as hard as what you would think. I think that, no. that that's the, that's the main takeaway that I like to share with people is that it's not as hard as it sounds. Don't let this, Oh, it's way too complicated. And, and it's, 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 I can't give you this because it's too linear. I right? don't, don't let that, don't let that deter you because I really, to, to get back to your point that you were making about underlying assumptions uh, within the organization, mm. within the individuals, I think if you start from a different place, yeah. The stuff starts to change on its own, right? If you Bingo. start, I mean, to, to, the, to the point that you made spot on just a few moments ago is that if you start to understand that blame fixes nothing, or let, let's just, let's just back up and say error is completely normal. It's so normal to the point that it's boring. <laughs> Everything else changes. If you truly believe that, yeah. right? And if you truly believe that in your organization through to its core, if that's a value or a principle within your organization, Everything else starts to change. Everything else starts. To Everything look, else starts to change. Beautiful. And bingo, spot on. Okay. Exclamation point. <laughs> if that assumption changes from um, people are the problem, which drives one loop, yeah. to people are the solution, or at least people are a part of the solution, then everything that you subsequently do looks different anyway. Exactly. If you just do that based on that assumption change, you are heading nicely, organically towards doing safety differently. Exactly. So you kind of kind of to what we said, you know, you start by kind of shifting those, and it's, it really is a huge shift away from a lot of more traditional approaches, which is the harder part, right? It is the harder part because organization has a lot of sunk costs involved into blaming people. Yeah. Right? We, we, have, we have a lot of sunk costs into beating people. Right. And now all of a sudden we're going, I don't know what you're going to do. We might need to not do that. We've only done it for 50 years. We might need to change. <laughs> you know? But when, when we do get to that point, as we said, of, of understanding that people are the solution to our problems, yeah. uh, when we start to understand that, um, that we're, we should start from a place of trust, then it yeah. gets to the point of what we were just saying is that now you can go ask them how to do safety differently because yeah. now you've got an environment in which honesty is possible. Yeah. Right? You can actually go out and ask people to be honest with you after you start to maybe demonstrate that a little bit, okay. but you can actually ask people how to do safety differently in your organization and you can build what that looks like for you. Because I think, I think rules are a really good example, right? There's a sweet spot for rules, the autonomy, you know, within all organizations and the best people to go ask that to are probably the people that the rules apply to. Right. That's right. right. So when you have the, when you have the opportunity to go do that now, you can create what that looks like. Right. You can create, you know, what's important to those people uh, and they're just going to naturally have ownership and follow, right. You know, it's just going to work, yeah. right. It's just going to work. Yeah. And they want that ownership. Absolutely. And again, if they've been part of the process, part of the solution, they're much more likely than to, to actually use that as intended. Yeah. I think one of, one of the challenges in this approach, and it's a good challenge to have, and it's something we need to address is that if we're then expecting or anticipating that our leaders do bring in their teams a lot more, they, they want to hear from them, that does infer that those leaders will need a, a fair degree of skill in, in those what we termed as soft skills. Right. And uh, traditionally, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, Sam, um, 
often in mining over here at least, uh, oil and gas construction, supervisors were made supervisors not because of those skills. They were made put in those positions because they were bloody good operators. They were great on the tools. And as you said, I think, yeah, at the start of the podcast, uh, we then put them in front of a toolbox talk session or a startup shift meeting, uh, expecting them now because they're supervisors to have the skills required to really engage their people, to build trust with their people. And frankly, a lot of them simply don't have that and that is not their fault. Right. We, we put them we in the leadership them role. Yeah. We do them a disservice. We almost set them up to fail. If we're going to put somebody in a leadership role, at the very least, we need to give them what they need to be able to do that well and or sort of look at the way we select our leaders in the first place. When I think it's really interesting now because um, you see these kind of phases as we as we go through uh, this evolution um, in the organizations that I've, I've seen really lean in, especially within their first couple of years of, of moving towards doing safety a little differently. They go, okay, got it. Can't, you know, blaming people doesn't fix anything. Got it. So then you'll have someone that has something bad happen, right? As we inevitably will. And then got it, not blame them. Leader, it's your fault. <laughs> right? Yeah. We, we, so we, we roll the blame uphill now. We're still yeah. blaming people a lot of times. I think that's, yeah. that's one interesting byproduct that, we've, that I've seen. It uh, is. Because, and unfortunately, that, that what, what brings up that thought is that we put them, as you mentioned, we often put them in those positions. We set them up in a position of failure where we don't provide them with all those different different tools that they need. Yeah. Um, right. Again, as Todd puts it, you know, soft skills are essential skills. You know, we, we put them in this position of not giving them really the essential skills that they need to lead yeah, absolutely uh, and again those aren't things that you're of course you know people are born with certain things right but you're not just born with this massive this massive toolbox of leadership skills no like you're just and there is there. that at birth and now you're leader here you're leader. <laughs> <laughs> it's not genetic right um, there, there is a you, you bring up an interesting point though because as as we now progress you know towards hopman and safety to safety differently that there can be just a, quietly a, a danger that the, the, the old blame moves from blaming the worker to actually blaming the leader. And that's no better. No better. Uh, again, to, to use the toddism, you can learn or blame. Right. And so instead of blaming now the leaders for not, well, blaming the leaders for blaming the workforce. Right. <laughs> that's got a limited shelf life. Instead, <laughs> Let's learn instead. Oh, let's God. learn as to the old ways that we approach leadership because that's just how it was. That's just what we did. There's no, there's no room to blame there. But let's learn. And let's look at the leaders that are currently doing it well. Let's look at the, yeah. um, you know, it's it's. Let's learn from those who do it well. We, there's a whole thing around that in psychology. It's it's the shift from looking at what's bad and trying to fix that. Instead, let's look at what goes really really well and replicate that as much as we can. Well, even even just from a, a data set, we have a lot more that goes well than what's yeah. wrong. So yeah. we're, we're most missing, goes well. We're missing ninety nine percent of the data if we're just focusing on what goes wrong. Yeah, <laughs> the vast majority of organizations um, that I work with, and I'm sure you can say the same thing, yeah. they do safe, stable, amazing work probably 99.9% of the time. Yeah. They do amazing, yeah, the focus? amazing, amazing things. That's just, I know when I go out and I'm a nerd for this stuff anyways, you you see the things that they do. It just blows your mind that people can do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you're going, what? How's that even yeah. possible? And you do this right 99% of the time? I don't know. That sounds like a pretty freaking good success rate to me. So maybe yeah. you should look at why you get it right all those times. 
And a lot of the time they don't even get the feedback for doing it well 99% of the time. The focus is purely... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But that 1% of the time you screw up, that's what we're really going to hammer you on. Doing it, getting it right is the expectation and zero is not... Anything more than zero is not allowed. So, of course, we're going to focus on the thing that that gives us not zero. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Well, let me let me say this because I could go on and on and on and on. Same. So you have a book out. So I do. So the interesting as, as do is, you, my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quarantine is is good for writing. I will say that. Yeah. Quarantine is good when for for actually putting words on paper. It makes me stay in one spot for a few minutes. <laughs> but um, you have a book out, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of what we probably talked about is probably in, in that book. And yeah. I, I really loved, I really loved um, a point that you made. Actually, it's not out yet. It'll be out by the time this comes out though. But I actually did one of my hot minutes on one of the quotes that was from, that was actually from your book talking about the need to move from retribution to a more restorative yeah. approach. I, I love that because I completely agree with you that uh, I don't see us going very far, at least uh, if we're trying to do safely different safety differently while still focusing on retribution, Absolutely. right? Again, a pound of flesh for the sinner that sinned against the, it's the sacred, Absolutely. The, most, the most sacred in the org. But I think it's awesome because I see, uh, I see this book everywhere. So why don't you tell folks <laughs> a little bit about the book and uh, can you give us the elevators, the, the quick elevator yeah. in the book? I'll try. Like, like, he's, um, like you said, I've, I've wrote this book quite a while ago now. Um, in fact, I finished writing it in February. So um, it seems like ages ago now. So it's really nice all of a sudden. Now it is released yeah. um, to see it popping up here on LinkedIn and reviews here and there. It's really lovely and really great feedback. And what I'm most happy with, Sam, exactly what we've been talking about, the feedback I'm getting isn't from academics. Um, it, it's from safety managers who, you know, thank you. This makes sense. I can do something with this. So it is out and um, that is good. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Um, and I, I, we were joking offline because, um, yeah, on Amazon, I was just having a, a look there to see how it was doing. And, you know, it pops up. People who bought this book also bought, and one of the other few books that came up was <laughs> was your wonderful <laughs> um, book. So, it, yeah, it's interesting that we're aligned in that. You know, Safety sucks yeah, comes up from, from Sam. Um, look, the nutshell version is, yeah, everything that we've been talking about just about. Um, is talked about a lot in the book. I do take responsibility for my profession, psychology, in that uh, I think we could have been better at putting a simpler message out there in terms of what safety leaders can do. Here are some ideas that you can start putting in place right now. It doesn't mean you're suddenly rolling out safety differently or safety too, but here are some things you can do as a leader right now to just start doing it better. And so the first few chapters of the book, Sam, are, you know, unashamedly based on research. I'm a research animal. I'm a psychologist. So mm. it's about making the case for change because really you need to do that. I, I believe we need to do that. Why would a safety manager change when everything seems to be going pretty well anyway? So the case for change just means, okay, and we can do it better. The rest of the book, part two of the book, is literally what that actually looks like for a leader. Yeah. But the, 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 the nutshell version is it's written for safety people. It's written for safety leaders you could almost say take the word safety out, Sam. It's written for leaders who want to influence people. I pitched that to the publisher and they said, what do you mean take the word safety out? And I said, well, it's a book about leadership. And then they quite astutely pointed out, sure, but how will your target audience know it's about them then, which is a fair point. 
Um, so it, it's really what I think the leadership, safety leadership space needs to look like moving forward, what I believe our next generation of safety leaders um, ought to be looking at. Um, and it, it's really about, if you like, soft skills, but it's a book about trust and mistrust, how, how to overcome mistrust. So if you want to do something with safety differently, if you want to make that journey, this is kind of what you need to do first because with the best will in the world to try to bring in some new program, or it's, it's doomed to fail. There's a quote in there about this that says, um, unless the mistrust of the workforce can be overcome, pretty much anything else you bring in is not going to work. That's it, yeah. And so it's, it's really a book about doing that. I love it. I love it. And that's, I've got to tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a great time for, no matter what we call it, I'll just stick with safety better. It's a great time for the safety better body of knowledge right now. Um, yeah. Your book, Rose's book, that's out. Oh, there's, yeah. there's, so, there's, there's a handful of really great books that have come yeah. out over the past little bit. Um, Todd's more recent book yes. that just came out. Um, the, the new book on learning teams that just came out by uh, Learning Teams book is fabulous. Books. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, it's just phenomenal. It's, it's kind of back to what we're saying. It's amazing to see how far things have gone just in the past year and a half, two years. Now. Yeah. Can you imagine, Sam, if you and I had published our books, as you said, 10 years ago? I would, um, I would have. I would be working, uh, yeah, I don't know what, I would definitely not be working in safety. Or no, neither would I. I, would um, yeah, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. <laughs> we would be viewed as, as heretics um, and potentially burnt at the stake. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The fact that we can now not only release the book without too much of that fear, I'm sure there'll be a bit, bit of blowback, but to actually have it well received by, right. by people in the profession shows just how far we have come. To me, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm going to ask, you mentioned it, so I have to ask, right? Um, it's the infamous question that we always have around these parts, right? Which is any final words, any last words, anything that you would like to share with uh, safety folks, leaders, hot practitioners, any go-dos, anything that's on your heart that you would just like to tell those folks out there, you're in their ear holes right now. So if you're, there's anything you want to, anything you want to plant in their brains, <laughs> What, yeah, okay. I'm feeling a little foolish right now because um, I've been on your podcast before. I kind of know you always ask this question and I didn't <laughs> think ahead. I did not think ahead to have something profound to say. So let me just say this. Um, one of the things while I was writing the book and after I wrote the book was, as we just mentioned a little while ago, was that I could actually take this, the word safety out of most of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I would urge all safety practitioners, hop nerds and pretty much anybody to do with safety, sometimes... Have a look at what you're currently doing with the safety word taken out of it. Yeah. So rather than thinking of yourself as a safety leader, how about you just have a look at leader? How, when you go and have a safety conversation with the crews, how about you just have a conversation with the crews? And I think sometimes just getting rid of that word safety just allows you to be a leader rather than the safety leader. I love it. Brilliant. I, I think it's amazing because I find myself at least, and I know many, many folks out there do, um, I find myself every day seemingly to do less and less in actual industrial safety and in exactly yeah. what you just said. And I think well, that's what we find with, with, um, with safety differently, safety better. When we find ourselves talking about hop is, you know, safety might be the catalyst that brings a lot of this stuff into our organization, but creating an environment of trust or an environment in which honesty is possible is good for the organization as a whole. It, it changes everything. Creating an environment of betterment, 
yeah. it changes everything. Safety is really a small piece of that. And I know, and again, back, back, back to being burnt at the stake, we can say <laughs> safety is our number one priority and it's not. It's not. That is it not never will be. That is not the goal of the organization. The goal of the organization is to produce XYZ widget or in my world to produce megawatts or in other worlds to produce yes. tonnage of coal. In other words, to produce, to produce natural gas, right? So to, to, to bring that more holistic approach instead of just yeah. saying we're here for safety, I think it is important. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And doing, you know, your, your words that I use constantly, doing safety better, which I prefer to safety to or safety differently or anything, safety better. But just that little tweak, again, just do work better. The better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, making things better seems like a pretty good goal to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So let me, let me say this before we finally, before we finally shut up or I'll shut up. I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> How can people find the book? How can people get a hold of right. you? All that yeah. kind of stuff. That's super important because I will tell you, if you yeah. do not have this book, shame on you. You should go get this book. It's You need it. You know, <laughs> along with a couple of other ones that we mentioned there, you should have this sitting on your shelf as it is on Clive's here, along with along yeah. with a couple others. But you should get this book. So how can people get a hold of it? Yeah, now we're starting to sound like that, the old school safety leaders. Yeah. Are, <laughs> get this. And on this occasion, we'll allow the guilt trip, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> how can people find, well, me, they can um, probably just, well, on LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn, and I'm sure most of your people are, Sam, mm-hmm. um, just, just look me up, Clive Lloyd, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, our website, which is double, oh, GIST Consulting, G-Y-S-T, which is short for Grow Your Safety Thinking, uh, gistconsulting.com.au. Um, if you want to get the book, just go to Amazon, I guess. Uh, it yeah. is called That, Next Generation Safety Leadership from Compliance to Care. The actual publishers are Rutledge CRC Press. You can go to their website too. Shop around, see which is cheaper, would be my thought. Um, I don't want to rip anybody off. The publishers put a terrible price on it. But anyway, <laughs> you can always get the, uh, the the ebook. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's anywhere on Amazon. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what I'll tell folks. Um, when uh, when I went and looked it up, I just searched Clive's name, Clive Lloyd, and then just found it right there. Just popped right up for me on Amazon, at least your state side in the U.S. market. So should be pretty yeah. easy. I'm sure you throw that in Google, you can find it pretty pretty quick from all yeah. kinds of different retailers. Trouble is, is well. there's this other guy called Clive Lloyd who is a legendary cricketer. You, yeah. you, you might see a lot. I, of his I found stuff that come as well. I found that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so move, move past that. Unless you're into cricket, then have a good read. Yeah. <laughs> you can enjoy both. How about that? You just, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, there you go. What do you think about that one? I kind of sort of think I have an idea. I liked it. I loved it. I got to have more of it. I've got to tell you, I love chatting with Clive. It's, it's just awesome. Uh, most importantly, he's a blast. He's fun. He's, he's just a really fun, down-to-earth person. Um, second... He just drops so much knowledge in these conversations. So if you're not following along with Clive, make sure that you head over to LinkedIn right now. You turn this thing off. uh, You head over. You follow along with Clive on LinkedIn. You go check out his company. You make sure you head over to Amazon. Check out his book. He's just doing amazing stuff in this space. I've got to tell you, I'm a fan. I'm a super fan when it comes to Mr. Clive Lloyd. So that's all I've got. I'll shut up. Uh, Other than telling you, just Put this on repeat. Listen to it again. It's a really good one. That's all I've got. Sam Goodman, the hot nerd, <gasps> signing off. I hope you're doing well wherever you find yourself. Let me let me say that. Let me let me pause for a second and say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for continuing to support everything that we've got going on over here. It means the absolute 
world to me. I, I, I can't say that enough. I know that you probably hear that from me a ton. You probably hear it to the point of it being freaking annoying, but I, I truly mean that. And I want to pause for just a second and say that uh, again, in your ear holes, straight into your ear holes that I love you. I mean it. Thank you for helping us to continue to do what we love to do here. And that is bring you these awesome conversations, bring you all kinds of other cool stuff. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So again, that's all I've got. I'm actually out of here this time. I'm going to go complain to somebody else about the heat here in Phoenix. <gasps> Bye, everybody. Today's episode has been brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. You can head over to palehorsemedia.co or palehorsemediaco.com for more information. We create cool. We curate cool. Are you an author? Do you have an idea for something super cool? Do you have a finished manuscript? Or maybe you're even working with another publisher currently and you're just not happy with how the process is going. We'd love to hear all about it. Head over to pellhorsemediaco.com or pellhorsemedia.co and let us know about what you've got going on. We would love to be a part of bringing your project to life. Again, that's pellhorsemediaco.com or pellhorsemedia.co. Indie books, podcasts, publishing, events, and more. Pellhorsemedia.co. The Hop Nerd Podcast is brought to you by Hop. University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org.